0: We're going to look tonight at Matthew chapter 20, uh, and there's some pretty good indications in there how we can keep from evil. We're going to read Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 to 16, uh, found on page 545 in the Blue Bibles, um, but also will be on the screen. um, Starting in verse 1, Jesus says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them, about, or sent them into his vineyard. About the third hour, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. And about the 11th hour, he went out and found still others hang, standing around. And he asked them, Why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, You also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about the eleventh hour came and each received a denarius. So when those who came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men were hired last, worked only one hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, Friend, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. This, too, is the word of the Lord. Kind of a fun passage, right? Um, You know, and actually, if you look at your Bible, uh, if you have it open, if you, if you look at the last verse of chapter 19, it says the same thing in verse 30. Many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. These two verses actually frame the parable. Jesus is talking about this specifically. And, it, and it, the reason he says this is because of Peter's question still further up in chapter 19, verse 27. After Jesus is dealing with the rich young ruler, Peter says, well, wait a minute. Like, we left everything to follow you. What what are we gonna get? And that leads into this parable of the vineyard workers and him saying the last will be first. It's almost another way to put it. it is like Jesus saying, hey, don't worry. The losers are gonna win, okay? I know you feel bad. I know you feel like you've given up everything, but don't worry. The losers are gonna win. And I like thinking about that because most of us at one time or another in our life have sort of felt like losers, right, if we're honest. Tonight, this parable we look at, there's a lot of categories for parables. Um, one of my favorite writers, who I'll quote later, talks about there are kingdom, or parables of kingdom, parables of judgment, and parables of grace, sort of three categories. I like that framework, and tonight we have a parable where he talks about the kingdom of God, but really it's about grace. The last two parables we've talked about have been about the kingdom of God, have been about what I would call God's economy, you know, how we can best serve God on earth, how things will be in the life to come. And this parable is a parable of grace, though, isn't it? It's a parable that teaches that those who are willing to lose or to give everything can, in fact, gain everything. And so let's go through this verse by verse, as we usually do, and then we'll talk about some themes um, towards the end. As he says in verse one, Jesus begins by saying, hey, uh, many of his parables, he says this, right? The kingdom of God is like. You may notice, um, as I said, me talking about God's economy. Whenever I say that, again, I'm talking about the kingdom of God. Because remember, the kingdom of God is not just heaven. It's present and it's future. We believe in in, in Christendom that, that Jesus and John the Baptist both preached the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's now, but it also will be later. And so the things we do in this life, the things we're learning, the things we're preparing for, our desire to be like Christ prepares us for the life to come. And so keep in mind when Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, it's not just heaven, but it's now as well. It's present and future. Some some people will say the, the already, but not yet, right? That's where we are. So Christ gives us this story about this God's economy or the kingdom of heaven. The master of the vineyard goes out to find workers for the day. Um, we don't know exactly why. Uh, maybe he didn't have full-time workers. Maybe it was harvest time and he needed extra hands. Um, maybe some of you have, have done this. I actually worked for a company like this in America called Labor Ready where you just sort of show up at 5.30 and you hope you get a call to work. Uh, it's not very fun. Um, And and if you think about it, back in these days, it would probably be a hard life if you were a day laborer, right? Each day sort of hoping, maybe you get some food, maybe you get some money for food for your family, maybe you get some security, sort of hoping, wondering, am I going to get hired? You know, these weren't the scholars, these weren't people who had a family trade, these were people who every day were sort of wondering, am I going to make it? It's a hard life. And so he goes out into town, wherever these people gathered, and says, hey, I need A couple of you guys to come work on my vineyard. What's amazing about this is we sort of think of this, wow, yeah, that'd be hard a long time ago. Just as, we'll come back to this, but think about how many people in the world still live day to day? I'm, I'm constantly amazed when I read the teachings of Jesus that there are so many parables and so many things that parallel our life today. How many people around the world are still living day to day, hour to hour? Half day to half day, hoping for a chance to work, just like here. And so in verse two, they make a deal. The master says, okay, I'll pay you a day's wage. That's about what scholars think a denarius was worth, a day's wage for an average laborer. And they agree, and they go and work at about 6 a.m. That's when the day started. That's why it always says the third hour was 9 o'clock, the sixth hour was 12 o'clock, etc. So at 6 a.m., they go out and start working. And then in verse 3 to 4, it says he goes out again at the third hour, about 9 o'clock, and and, then sees more people and says, hey, you guys too, come on. And then, interesting though, with this one in verses 3 and 4, he doesn't agree to pay them a denarius. It says the contract of the payment would be whatever is right. But again, these people are happy to have work. They're happy to have something to do. And they go, and this person says, I'll pay you whatever is right. And they say, okay, great, we're just happy to have some work. It's nine o'clock, it's been a couple of hours, no one picked us, we're just happy to be here. And then verse five to seven, much of the same at noon at three o'clock. All the way until five o'clock. They've been working 11 hours. And Jesus still, or Jesus, well the master, Jesus, right? Still goes out and says, hey, why are you guys still standing here? wants to make sure that they want to work, right? You guys aren't lazy, right? You guys aren't, haven't been saying no to people. I'm like, no, no, no one asked us. So we're just still waiting, hoping that someone chooses us. And he says, okay. Once he realizes they're willing to work, he says, great, come to my vineyard. And these men know it's only gonna be an hour. These men know the sunset is coming soon, but they're thinking, hey, well, at least we'll get something. Right, at least, at least we'll get something. So in verse eight, the time comes, the day's over. Workers who only worked a few hours are the first ones paid. You know, I think it's interesting, I don't know what this means, I just think it's interesting that if he had done it the opposite way, the first workers would have gotten their denarius and been happy and then just left and maybe we don't have a parable then if he does it this way. But anyway, so they pay the the last ones in to the vineyard first. And, And they're given, the full amount the morning people made a deal for. Now, if you're one of these 6 a.m. workers, you're thinking, awesome. Like, that's fantastic. This guy is so generous, he gave him that much. Think of how much more he'll appreciate the work we did. Right? I mean, it's only natural. Any of us would have done the same thing. But that's not what happens. We find in the story that they all get the same amount. And immediately, we sort of wonder in our heads, is this fair? We'll come back to fair. But think about that. Is that fair? And in verses 11 to 12, it shows what is just human nature, that they grumbled, that they were annoyed, that they complained. You know, in their minds, they were keeping a record. Imagine you're thinking you're there at 6 a.m., you're working first thing in the morning, you see some more people come. You're like, oh, we were here before those guys. And then then the next group comes, you're like, oh man, we just had our lunch and they're just starting. And then three o'clock comes around and even more still show up and you think, oh, we're way better off than those guys. And then at five o'clock, some guys come in only working for an hour and you think, why would he even bother? Oh well. And as the line goes up, they're remembering, oh, these were the ones, they got a full denarius and they were the last ones hired and the line is shrinking. You're thinking, oh, this is gonna be good and you're keeping a record of everyone who you've worked longer than, everyone who you've worked harder than, everyone who you think you deserve more than. (laughs) And then, wait, what? Is that fair? And then we have the master's response in verses 13 to 16. I want to point out three things the master says here that I find really awesome. One, the master calls the day laborer friend. I like that for a lot of reasons. It's a thing we see through Scripture. It's a thing we see with Jesus when he says to us that he no longer calls us servants, but he calls us friends. I love that detail. But the two other things I want to point out that the master says that we're going to talk about a little bit more is this. is The first thing the master says is, I wanted to give. The last one's hired the same as you. I wanted to give. And the second thing, are you envious because I am generous? These are two things that I want to think about as we talk about this parable. Because some of you may have heard this parable taught on before. I've always sort of thought of it as a loophole to salvation, right? If I can sneak in right at the end of the day and be saved, then I'm okay and I get heaven just like everyone else, right? In our selfishness, we think, oh, I can live life however I want, I could do whatever I want, and then last moment, just sneak right in, and I'm good. We're all the same. Um, It can be a metaphor for salvation. I've heard it preached that way, Um, but I want to think about something that maybe there's a little bit more to this that we can learn tonight. I want you to think about this position, or think about this parable right now from the position of the workers for a second. Think about the workers' status, as I was talking about. These are people who live day to day. These are people who probably didn't have much security because they didn't have work. And if they didn't have work, then they didn't have a regular source of income. They may, may not have had families or they may have been separated from their families. Um, I come from California in the United States and we have a huge population of what we call migrant workers there. People, we br- people that they are brought in for seasons of harvesting. Um for picking fruit, for things like that, people who are generally Hispanic or come from Mexico, and they they bring them in for a month or two, and they work 12-hour days just like this, hoping, hoping that they'll find full-time work, hoping that a farm will keep them on, hoping that they can find security, hoping maybe that they can restart their life. I mean, let's think about the world right now. Think about the workers in this story. Think about the world right now and think how many people in the world not only desire to have this happen but need to hear this truth. How many people in the world right now have no work, are displaced? Maybe they're refugees. Maybe they can't speak the language. Maybe they're just a lower social status and never had access to education. Maybe their families have been separated. And each day they're going out looking for some sort of security. Put yourself in the position of these laborers and think of how joyful it would be to have a landowner come to you and say, I have work for you today. Think of what it would mean to you just to know that just for the next 12 hours you might have stability. Just until tomorrow, you at least know you can get dinner tonight. And so these laborers, the first ones, were really happy. They jumped at the chance. And I'm sure that the following ones were as well, thinking after the first round of people were selected, oh gosh, no one's gonna pick me, no one's gonna pick me, and then at 12 o'clock, oh, someone picked me. Three o'clock, someone picked me. What if this parable is less about the end of life and salvation and sneaking in in the last moment, and it's more about God coming and choosing us? What if this is a parable about how God goes to the lowliest people on earth and chooses them? What if it's a parable about God telling the world, I want you to have hope and a future? What if Jesus is telling us this parable tonight to remind us that indeed God came to you and God chose you? to show you that you can have security, to show you that you don't have to worry about tomorrow. This parable is a story about day laborers in a vineyard. But it's a parable for all of us who have ever felt that way, who have ever felt lost and aimless and wandering. Verse 14, our God wants to give. How good is that? The master says, I wanted to give this to them. Our God wants to give. Our God wants to give to the lowest, to the poorest, to you, to your coworkers, to your neighbors, to everyone who thinks they're lost, everyone who isn't sure what tomorrow is going to look like. God wants to give. And the second thing he says, he wants to be generous and not just give enough to make it by, but give more than you think you'd ever get. Think about those last workers, even the ones that were hired at three o'clock. Oh, he'll give us something. We're just working three or four hours. And he says, no, I'm gonna give you a full day's wage. I don't deserve this. And the owner says, I don't care. I want to give it. This is what our God is like, you guys. This is the God we worship. This is this, this, this God who comes down and intersects with our life. He wants to give. And if you don't know or you haven't made the decision to say yes to him, know this, that this God comes down to you like a day laborer who is scared, who is nervous, who has no idea what tomorrow holds, and asks you, do you want security? Do you want help? Do you want the hope of a future? And he says, I want to give it to you. And so for us then, maybe you've been a Christian a long time, maybe you're new to this, maybe you're still thinking, I want us to look back at Psalm 131, and I want us to see what King David says that we get when we go into this vineyard, when we accept Jesus, when we say yes. Psalm 131, we read it before, I'll read it again, it's on page 342 if you want to look at it in your Bibles says, my heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have stilled and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is, is my soul within me. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. <coughs> Scripture tells us that when God comes down to give, That when God comes down to bring people out of uncertainty into a life that is full of love, he gives humility, contentment, and peace. In this psalm, David is saying, my heart is not proud, Lord. He is humble before God. He says, I do not concern myself with matters too big for me. He gives him contentment. I can only focus and do what I can do. And he has stilled and quieted his soul. He gives him peace. See, the parable breaks down when we talk about what we're earning and stuff, but think about what our God says to you and to me. That I give you contentment and peace in this world where oftentimes we don't know where we're gonna find those things. In our God, we find humility, contentment, and peace. In the safety of his care, we are invited in. God comes to us. God chooses us and says, Is this what you would like? And so he frames it, Jesus does this parable and says the last may be first and the the first will be last. But it's sort of for dramatic effect because there's really no advantage, first or last, is there? They all get the same. In God's economy, none are better and none are worse. Everyone gets paid. We're all equal. In Romans chapter three, verse 10, Lisa, I think there's a, a slide for this. You don't have to look it up. You may be familiar with this verse. It says, oh, I gave the wrong one, sorry. Well, Romans chapter three, verse 10 says that no one is righteous, not even one. For all have sinned later on in chapter three and fall short of the glory of God. No one is righteous. That none of us have earned anything more than the other person. <coughs> none of us has any more than the other. But still, in this life, some are given more, aren't they? Some have more than us, don't they? This is, this is hard. Because oftentimes in life, we want a, a bigger family, a bigger house, a better job. It's really hard not to compare. It's really hard not to be like the day laborers who, who saw the people coming in after them and thinking, oh, I'll make more than those guys. It's really hard not to compare and make lists in our head. You know, I confess this is something I sometimes struggle with. Switzerland doesn't help. <laughs> um, you know, but one thing I always say, and I always have to remind myself, see like an 18-year-old driving by in a Maserati. I think, you know what? We always, or we all have our own stuff we deal with, don't we? I say this all the time. We, You see something, or maybe you see something online, or you, you know, I don't know. I'm not on Instagram, but I've I've seen things and you sort of look at other people's vacations maybe and you're like, oh, that would be so awesome. I want to be that person. How do they go on all these trips? Whatever it is. We all have stuff. We all have different stuff we deal with. You know, we may see someone has the life we want. We may think that someone has what we've been wanting, that, that maybe it's a bigger family, maybe it's a better job, maybe it's something else, I don't know. But everyone has their own life, their own problems and the things they deal with. Sometimes we get jealous, sometimes we keep a list in our head. sometimes we think, like the parable of the vineyard workers, we're gonna be better off than others and we want what they have. Well, that guy only worked an hour and we got the same pay. But the truth is, everyone has their own stuff they're dealing with, so we shouldn't be comparing ourselves. And that doesn't matter because God comes and calls that person the same way God comes and calls you and chooses you. And he asks if we want to join him in our wandering, in our aimlessness, in our fear for the future. He says, do you want to follow me? But in our sin, we forget this. In our sin, what we do is we compare ourselves to one another. We keep records of right and wrong among people around us. And, and this is the craziest thing about keeping records in our brain, you guys, is that when we think, or when we're keeping records, not only are we doing something that's detrimental to us, but we think we're being righteous, right? It's like a sibling who, who like, mom and dad come home and they give a whole laundry list of everything their brother or sister did. My sister always did this when we were home alone. It drove me crazy. Um, she would tell on me for everything I did. And this is sort of what we do when we compare ourselves to others. We keep lists in our brain about what everyone else is doing, thinking that it will make us feel better, when really, it's keeping us from God. We do these things so that we can think we feel better, but really what God says is it's not for us to do. It's not for you to worry about what someone else is getting paid. It's not for you to worry about how God is going to deal with someone else. How is God dealing with you The disciples even dealt with this. In John 21, after Jesus is resurrected, he goes to Peter and says, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? And they finally repair the relationship. And then immediately, Peter looks back at John and says, what about him? Jesus says, Peter, what is wrong with you? (laughs) Like, just focus on what I've called you to do. We all so often act like the first workers in this story, don't we? We worry about what other people are thinking. We worry about what other people are gonna do. We keep records of other people's lives and we forget that our God calls us, calls you, and he gives freely to you and to them. Do not compare yourself to others. Remember that God came for you, God has called you. Don't keep records of others church, do not keep records of what others are doing. (laughs) This is sort of an intense quote, but this guy I referenced earlier who does this research on the parables, I think there's a quote up there, Lisa. Hell is reserved only for the idiots who insist on keeping non-existent records in their heads. Guys, God got rid of the records. 1 Corinthians 13 says that love keeps no record of wrongs. And that in Jesus Christ, we all were forgiven. In Jesus Christ, we are all redeemed. And not a single thing you or I have done has made us any better than any other. Let God deal with these things. Your desire to keep a record of what other people are doing is sin, and it keeps you from God's heart. We think we know what fairness is. Remember, what is fair? We think we know what fair is. And so we think we are righteous by trying to determine what fair is for everyone else around us. But righteous is what the master in this story does. And the master goes and says, I wanted to be generous and give. And that is righteousness. And so, we must keep no records in our heads of other people of who is first or who is last, who is rich or who is poor, who is high or who is low, because in God's economy, we are all equal. So Jesus teaches this lesson. Jesus teaches his lesson to his disciples. And I ask you the same questions that they were probably thinking. Are we grateful? for what God has done? Are we grateful and joyful and content as King David was in the psalm? Are we content with who God is and how he has come and called us? Because God comes to you and you didn't have much hope. I didn't have much hope. Before Jesus Christ, all of us were like a day laborer wondering what tomorrow might hold and Jesus came, God came and he called us and said, I have something for you. I will give you what is fair. And as it turns out, what we've been given is way more than fair. It's way more than any of us deserve. Because of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, the Bible tells us that we are not only given access to the vineyard to work, but that we are no longer called servants. That we are called friends. That we are adopted into the house and we are given an inheritance. We're given part of the vineyard. We are adopted into the family not to work the vineyard but to own the vineyard together because we're all equal. Every one of us, when Jesus comes to us, when God comes to us and calls us, every single one of us wins. And so scripture tells us don't focus on one another. Don't keep records of of the other workers and who does what, when, and when they come in and when they go out. Don't worry about that. Focus on the giver of this gift. Because he is generous. What did the master say? Are you envious because I am generous? (laughs) Do not be envious of God because he is generous to a brother or sister in Christ. But instead be joyful for that person. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Our God comes. Our God chooses us. And our God wants to give to you. God provides for us that we might do what he has called us to, not keeping records, but that we would take the grace given to us in the name of Jesus Christ and we would give it to this world. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? God, thank you. God, I thank you for this parable. What a powerful story. Lord, may we first remember ourselves that without you we are like a wandering laborer, wandering where our security will be found. Lord, for those of us who know you, I thank you that we have seen this gift you offer. God, I thank you for offering it to us, for choosing us, for giving us this security that we never had before. God, for those who do not know you, I pray that they would put their trust in you, that they would trust this gift that you are a generous God. And God, for those people around the world, whether they are literally day laborers, God, or they are metaphorical day laborers struggling for what is coming next. God, I pray that we would share this love and this grace with those around us. God, that you would use us to reveal yourself to those who are lost, who are scared, and who are alone. God, there are many who do not feel your love tonight, wherever they are around the world, and we pray now that through the power of the Holy Spirit they would know that there is a God who loves them. And that brothers and sisters in Christ would share with them the truth of Scripture. The truth we have found. The truth you have blessed us with and given us. Lord, thank you. pray this in Christ's holy and matchless name. Amen.